to In Search of Tarot, a podcast for the mystically curious and epically magical. Through conversations on tarot, spirituality, and mysticism, my goal with this podcast is to create a friendly, accessible space to think critically about the unknown and the unknowable. It is my belief that truth comes to us in the form of questions rather than answers. So let's enjoy the journey together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In Search of Tarot. My name is Nick, and I'm a queer, non-binary tarot reader, teacher, and writer. And I'm so happy to be back with you this week. I'm getting to travel a little bit uh, the next couple of weeks, seeing family. And you might even hear the birds chirping outside where I'm recording right now, which is definitely not the normal case in New York. And uh, it's very nice to to have a chance to step outside of the city. Um, I'm going to start us off this week by taking a few minutes to do a deep dive into the Temperance card. Um, this is a card that I think definitely for myself um, has proven challenging to kind of get to know over the years. And I think for a lot of people, it can be a little tricky. Um, and, you know, Temperance itself is for me about recombining and remixing and recalibrating, exploring and testing and experimenting. Um, it's really a card of transition. And so I think it makes sense that it's a little bit hard to get to know because I don't know sometimes that we're even supposed to really know it, quote unquote. Um, a helpful point of entry for this card I found can be its astrological association with Sagittarius, which is itself a sign of, among other things, exploration. Sagittarius, you know, wants to fall down a rabbit hole. They want to fall down every rabbit hole. They want to see, hear, feel, touch, and taste every option and every idea. And it can also be interesting to consider that this card falls between death and the devil. Something has passed, something has fallen away, we have grieved what has departed, and yet we are still here, maybe more aware of death, um, more in touch with it. It makes me think of people that have had near-death experiences in the way that you are perhaps no longer living with that same sense of binary, but you know, you, you are still on one side. Uh, a lot of images of the temperance card depict the angel halfway between water and earth or standing in water and earth. And there's that sense of being in between what else there is and what is here. Um, you know, things will not be the same, but we are fresh and malleable and impressionable in this new birth that we're in. And I think it is a new birth. You know, I think it harkens back in a way to the fool and to that earlier piece of the journey in the major arcana. And I think that's where the devil can come in because for me, the devil really is an echo or a mirror back to the lovers. You know, in the lovers card, we learned what it meant to love ourselves, and the devil creeps back in, kind of wants to separate us again, you know, wants to tell us that we're either this or that. It's another point in the journey where we really have to learn that lesson of uh, non-binary non thinking. And in temperance, we become someone else. 
we have to learn how to love that that new thing, that new self, just as much as we did in the lover's card. You know, I've always had this secret fantasy of being a bartender. <laughs> I went to a bar last night, um, COVID safe, um, but I I've always had this kind of dream of that. And of course, not just any bartender, but that kind of you know impossibly cool irritatingly good looking, masterfully knowledgeable bartender that somehow manages to make you feel totally safe and comfortable while also keeping you very aware that you're lucky to be in their presence. <laughs> um, and I think what appeals to me about embodying this kind of you know noir playboy is really the mastery of their craft and the awe and pleasure that it produces in others. When you watch a bartender mix a drink like it's the easiest thing in the world, it's so seductive and sexy and um, magical. It's very alchemical. Um, and, you know, I would want to be the kind of bartender who works exclu exclusively off menu, you know, asking you just, what do you like? Floral, citrus, spirit forward, you know, just leave it all to me. I got it. Um, and then a few pours, stirs, shakes, and twists later, you have a perfect drink. I recently read a New York Times opinion piece titled, how do I define my gender if no one is watching me? Its gender non-binary author described how living in isolation during the pandemic had at first seemed like an ideal place to find themselves five months after beginning testosterone, but instead the reality of living outside the social binary gaze left them feeling somewhat disoriented as if their own gender had evaporated is how they describe it. And it leaves me thinking about what happens after the old rules have died. You know, we just said temperance comes after death. Magic abhors a vacuum. Space abhors a vacuum. What do we do when there's nothing left to push against? Critique can be so much easier than creation. And a lot of my work, as you know, as you may know, um, is centered in questioning and critiquing historical interpretations of the tarot. And the very act of being able to say, I'm not this and I'm not that, is what has really allowed me to find my own binary middle ground. And I want to say it's not a middle ground. It, it, it is a middle ground that allows for all the options um, whenever I wish. You know, it's not some sort of dulling out, but it's an opening up. It's a broadening, an unshackling, and an eye-opening kind of existence. So you know, what am I really saying? I surely I'm not saying that we need these binary polarities to find ourselves. And surely I am saying that the fullness of all expression should be allowed and honored and accepted, no matter where you fall. If you look at it as a spectrum, you know, no matter where you fall in that, you should be able to express that. I guess I'm kind of pointing back to that drink that my fantasy self as the bartender is whipping up for folks every night. You know, is it enough that those drinks are made from new combinations of old ingredients? Or is there something in that drink that we can't place because it doesn't exist yet? You know, and do we have to name it? Do we have to be able to name it to know it? My guest today is Danielle Park, a tarot reader and teacher who explores the tarot through many lenses, 
including the Enneagram, poetry, Christianity, parenting, and queerness. And in this conversation, Danielle and I spent a bit of time talking about the way that tarot can be used to help us discover, clarify, understand, and visualize our identity. I really enjoyed hearing a bit about the way that Danielle has been teaching or, or, or helping her daughter kind of uh, play with tarot. And one way that she describes it is using the cards face up and allowing her daughter to pick out the card that feels like her, you know, or that makes her, her think of herself. And I've been kind of playing with that in my own tarot work recently, using the tarot by choice, you know, using these images to choose how you feel instead of waiting for the outside world to tell you who you are, including the tarot, you know, rather than shuffling and kind of seeing what comes up and allowing the outside to, to kind of tell you about yourself, instead working the other way, feeling inside of yourself, and then looking out to say, this is how I feel, you know, this is who I am today. And it doesn't have to be the same day to day, month to month, year to year, it's going to change. And you have the ability to pick that and play with that and select that. All of that feels super temperance to me. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have a moment, I hope you will Leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen. It really helps just spread the word. Um, I also have a very exciting major, major offering coming out this summer that I'm going to be announcing in a week um, to the world, but I'm first going to be announcing to my newsletter. So if you want to get on that list, the link is in my bio on Instagram. Um, I'll put it in the show notes as well. And uh, I would love to have you be the first to find out. Um, my Patreon subscribers have already found out and the newsletter will be next. And then I'll announce to the world. But it's pretty big. I think you'll want to know. It's pretty darn exciting. Um, and last thing I'll say is that I have started a Patreon. So if you do enjoy this podcast, if it's something that you look forward to, for as little as $2 a month, you can support this work. And all the tiers have the same uh, bill benefits, the same uh, you know, access. So it's just you know whatever feels right to you um, financially. But I would appreciate any support you felt like throwing my way. Um, all right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Danielle is amazing. I want to thank her for coming on. And next week, I have a really, um, a really fun guest for you as well. I'm looking forward to releasing that episode too. So thanks for being here. So I'm Danielle. I am based in Austin.
Austin, Texas. Um, and I read tarot and I teach tarot. Um, I really am, I'm into the intersections of tarot and the Enneagram. That's kind of like something that <clears throat> um, I've developed with my partner who's an Enneagram coach. Um, I don't know, tarot is just my passion. I love it so much. Um, I use it to just navigate through all parts of my life. I'm a very busy <laughs> mother um, and I'm a full-time body worker um, and have been doing that for 20 years. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think that's all I'll say right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, amazing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about the Enneagram a little bit later too, because that's something that I've like dabbled in in the past, but I don't know super well. So I'm excited to okay. get to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, okay. So yeah, I guess to start, um, because we're both queer readers um, in the tarot sphere, I would love to just kind of hear your experience of that. Um, I think for myself, it's always something I'm kind of examining just in the way tarot is traditionally, you know, kind of talked about and some of the traditional mm -hmm. depictions in the cards. And I'm curious for you to hear from you um, what that's been like for you. Ooh, um, I don't know. That's interesting. I will say, so I started reading tarot when I was, um, going through a divorce, like, mm -hmm. and which involved a, like a shift in, um, like my, well, not my sexual identity, but the way that people perceived me, because um, I was leaving a heterosexual marriage, and then I, you know, ended up in a queer relationship, and so um, navigating that, like, shift, um, like, tarot helped me to do that, so, so it's interesting, I've been using it as a tool to, like, um, just to learn about myself and my, and my queerness, so I think that's, that's interesting. So it's like inherently like a queer tool to me, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but as far as like, because you're asking like, it's explicit. Like, are you asking about like gender in the tarot? Like, is that like the crux of? Well, that is something I'm curious to talk with you about. But I'm, but, but first, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about how it did help you. Um, you know, how did it help you navigate that? that transition and help you maybe um, discover yourself a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was mostly as a tool to, um, to release shame, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was such a huge part of that, of that shift for me. Um, and, and tarot is so good at, at that, at, at navigating shame, because it so accurately, you know, reflects your experiences and, which is very validating, right? To have all those experiences mirrored in the cards. So it, it told me that what I was experiencing was real. Um, and it just helped me develop a lot of compassion for myself, like through that whole process. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was, it's, that was the main benefit of that was I think self-compassion. Um, Had you already been reading before, like while you were married or did you discover no, it No, not the really. End? I had had a spell of, <laughs> I guess, pardon the pun, a spell of reading tarot, like as a, you know, a teenager, like, you know, when I was like dabbling in Wicca and all that stuff, as, as many teens did in the like early nineties, right? Early mm -hmm. mid nineties was mm -hmm. like <laughs> a very teenage witch era. Um, so I had that going on, but then I didn't use the cards at all until post divorce. Yeah. And was there, was there a certain, um, you know, was it, was it the fact that you were kind of figuring yourself out that led you, you know, to turn to the, to the cards or what was it that kind of pulled you in that direction? Um, 
You know, probably what it was like thinking about it now, like I didn't really know why I wanted, like all of a sudden I was just like, oh, I need some, I need some cards. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like it hit me, you know, like suddenly like, oh, that's going to be the thing that's going to help me through this. But it was probably because I was like stepping into my queerness, which is how I identified as a teenager when I was reading tarot. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was probably just like that kind of through line. I was like, oh, I was, I was doing this then when I identified this way. Um, yeah. So I probably knew that subconsciously. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I am curious about the gender aspect. It's something that I, um, you know, am pretty passionate about in my yeah. own tarot work right now. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I'd love to hear you talk about that. I mean, when I, when I talk about it, I think, you know, the cards, obviously I'm kind of looking at are sort of emperor empress, um, mm -hmm. and sort of the court cards and just, yeah. just the traditional, um, you know, Western gender norms yeah. that, that, lay on top of that, um, even mm. subconsciously for us. And, yeah. you know, how has that been for you? Have you, yeah, just how do you um, feel about, about that? I mean, well, first of all, I am a cis person, so I, I feel like I have less, um, like it's easier for me, you know, to just kind of accept the way that gender plays out in the tarot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, my partner is non-binary, so certainly this is something I've thought about and just being, you know, just kind of aware of, of the need to not explicitly gender the tarot. Um, so like when I read, for example, and whenever I talk about the cards, I always just use, like my pronouns for every single card is they, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's just kind of one like practical way that I like work with gender in the tarot is just making sure that I, that I leave it open-ended. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to like with masculine, feminine, like, like for instance, that emperor empress thing. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to talk about it more as like receptive or active um, to take away some of that gendered language. Mm -hmm. um, but then like with the court cards, like for instance, I don't have an issue with like the naming of the court cards, like king, queen, which I know kind of have an explicit gender in them, but I just, it doesn't really bother me. And again, I just use they pronouns for everything. And I have a lot of decks where it doesn't matter if it's king or queen, like how they present, you know, in the, in the deck mm -hmm. can be anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you? What do you do? Yeah. I, I think as of late, like with the court cards, I've started to go back to that, that sort of thing that we all know of the idea of like, you know, page being earth and mm -hmm. uh, night being for me, nights are fire. Sometimes people mm -hmm. say nights are air, but yeah. um, that has been helpful to talk about just the elements rather than the names, yeah. um, you know, because I think, um, you know, and again, this is something I'd, I'd be curious to hear from you as a, you know, as a, as a queer person, even the, even, uh, you know, receptive and like initiative or whatever mm -hmm. sometimes feels like heteronormative or that it has a base mm -hmm. in that, you know, and, and kind mm -hmm. of this, the sexual component yeah, of hetero, you, you know, because like receptive or passive is just generally associated with the feminine. Is that? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. what, what I think is interesting, you know, even as a cis person, when I work with clients is just, you know, what I, what surprised me in this exploration, as I've talked about it with more people is how many honestly women, cis women will DM me and say, thank you for saying this. I don't understand divine feminine. Like, mm -hmm. and that has been so interesting, you know, because yeah. I feel like in the spiritual community, a lot of times we kind of push the, the feminine particularly, yeah. which I, I, and I understand like there, there is definitely a, 
um, misogynistic, you know, patriarchal yeah. system that we live in. But I think it actually, there's actually more room for expansion of not just, you know, sort of isolating what feminine can mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I will say I just never work with that terminology at all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like that's really not in my lexicon, divine feminine, divine masculine. It just doesn't even occur to me to do. Mm -hmm. um, I do sometimes we'll talk about like, like the energies of like mothering. Sometimes I will say I fold that in and that's just because of my, um, because I am a mother, you know? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that just kind of comes naturally to me. So I suppose that is, I mean, that's an element of that whole divine feminine energy, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. But that is the one place that I, I tend to bring something in that is, uh, that is explicitly gendered. Um, and my partner certainly drawn my attention to that. It's like shifting that language to like the parenting, you know, cause it's really, I'm really just talking about compassion, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, what's it like uh, being a mother and being a tarot reader? Do you do you teach your kids about tarot or do you well, pull I for try them? To. I, I like <laughs> des like I love it. Like I said, desperately like love to get them engaged um, with the tarot. And we go through phases. Actually, the other day, <laughs> my seven year old she just turned seven. She was like, "Mom, come into my room slash office." <laughs> she brought me into her room and she had laid out all these oracle cards on her bed and she like had me choose one and was like telling me about it. So that was adorable. Oh my um, gosh. But I do use the cards with the kids, especially for my older child, because she's very like, she is an emotional sponge. You know, mm. she's like very empathic, gets very overwhelmed easily by her emotional state. And so the way that I work with the cards with her is I will just like spread them all out face up and have her choose cards, like which card looks like the way you're feeling right now, or which card looks like how you, you know, experience X, Y, and Z situation, whatever. Um, and we use it like that. Um, because then it's a, it's a little bit less threatening for children, I think. And it's more empowering to choose them face up like that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, first of all, how amazing to have a, a mother who reads tarot. I can't even imagine. That'd be so cool. But um, but also, as of late, I've actually gotten more and more interested in in that aspect of tarot that is sort of allowing you to see yourself, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so I like that idea of letting someone choose. Even, you know, I've never really worked with significators, but um, yeah. but that has become more interesting to me as just, like I said, a way of finding an identity, you know? That's, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It really, it adds a new element to it. And I've been um, kind of incorporating some of that, like the, the choosing face up into like spreads and things. I mean, I do often create spreads that are anchored with a face up card, um, mm -hmm. which is a little bit different, but um, I also think it's useful, for instance, to like pick a card from the deck, like to just choose one that represents where you want to go um, when you're drawing a card that's like, or when you're, when you're trying to, to find a spread that's oriented towards the future, you know, you're trying to get somewhere and you want to know how to get there. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked this idea of like, well, what does that look like? Like, where do you want to go? Um, or what do you want to embody or be? And choosing that card face up and then pulling cards more traditionally face down for like the path, you know, mm -hmm. like the path mm -hmm. forward to that place. That's so um, cool. Yeah. That's kind of that whole same significant, what is that word? Say it. S significator, I think. Yeah. I, I knew I was going to mungle that <laughs> <laughs> pronunciation, um, but it's, it's in the same vein, right? Only it's not to represent you. It's to represent like your destination. 
Yeah. Um, and I like that that kind of empowers or, or um, you know, because I think we're all as tarot readers always playing around with how much does free will, you yes. know, lay in. And, and that's a really empowering way of saying, you know, you get to choose what you want yeah. and then and then kind of see what the path will be to get there. Right. Totally. Because that's and I kind of like had to come up with that just because I have so much anxiety about pulling cards for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate it. Um at least for myself. I don't mind doing it so much for clients, although I, I put a lot of caveats around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for myself, I find future cards really intimidating. Mm-hmm. So that's like an easier way to make it, to make reading for the future seem approachable. Um, yeah. yeah. I think one of the, the way I always talk about it is, um, you know, we're going to look at what's happening right now in your present. And then, you know, if nothing changed right now, this, yeah. this, this card indicates kind of what could happen but but tomorrow you could wake up and make all different decisions and then your future card would be totally different right i think it's so important like when you're reading for others especially people who don't have a a relationship with a tarot on their own to like uh to frame it that way right Mm -hmm. but this is not a fixed destination right Right, right. And later, a little later, we're going to talk about um, your episode of your podcast where you you, you guys talk about um, time yeah. uh, and this sort of past, present, future. So um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit. Okay. But let's talk about, um, you have two accounts on Instagram. Uh-huh. You have your Oak Moon Tarot and then you have your Contemplative Christian Tarot. Uh-huh. And yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I actually got to interview Brittany Muller, which is oh, Blessed yes. Vigil. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, this is number two of someone that is approaching um, tarot through a Christian lens. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm super curious to talk with you again about that intersection of, you know, being queer, being Christian and being a tarot reader. Um, you know, how, what is that like for you? And how do you integrate Christianity into your tarot practice? Yeah. Um, well, I will like say, I don't know if I can identify as a Christian truly. Okay. That feels a little bit fraudulent to me because, <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like I don't have enough of a, I feel like I don't have enough of a history with Christianity and I don't have enough. And I have such a repulsion towards the Christian church, generally speaking mm-hmm. to like, make that claim for myself. Um, you know, that feels like a really sticky situation. Um, but I do, I just do love, I love mystic Christianity and Mm -hmm. I love Jesus as a historical figure. And I also love, you know, Christ as a consciousness and an energy that we can access. Um, and my partner and I do go to a contemplative Christian church. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely Christian adjacent and I, um, and I love a lot of aspects of it. Um, so just to kind of like put that out there. Um, but I just, I have just found that tarot like really offered me such evidence that there is a God basically. Mm. Um, because I think when I was starting to read tarot, you know, I was in that divorce time. And so I was really desperate for, to just understand my own experience. Right. And so I was using it as a tool for emotionally processing and grounding and really just kind of like as a life raft to get through a very difficult time in my life. Um, but I wasn't so much using it, uh, to develop spiritually, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and so once, that time of my life that the divorce kind of chaos started to smooth and um 
and my tarot practice could become something other than like <laughs> than trying to navigate those waves right mm-hmm. uh, I started to use it um, to just explore more spiritual concepts and and it just was such a consistently like it was just telling me the truth like in such I don't know what the word that I'm looking for is unadulterated terms mm-hmm. um, that it really convinced me that that God is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wanted more structure around believing in God because I have a, I have a hard time when spirituality is too airy fairy uh-huh. um, and the energy is just like too, it's too ephemeral and I need something to kind of hold on to in a, in a um, scaffolding for those beliefs. And so Christianity felt like the most accessible one because we do have such cultural framework for it. Um, and even though I didn't grow up in a church at all, um, I still, I mean, I grew up in a small town in Texas, so it's around me. So I just have some anchoring in that tradition. Um, so it just seems like an easy place to kind of like hang my tarot hat. Does that make sense? It does. Although I have to say, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that it felt easy just because having lived in Texas as a queer person and a tarot reader, I don't know that the word easy is what I would equate with the Christian church, you know, like, well, um, yeah. how was that for you? Um, well, see, and that's the thing, like not growing up in it, just kind of adjacent right. to it. I really don't have a lot of the baggage associated sure. with it. Right. Um, I never had any like personal rejection from the church. I just didn't have that to unpack and deconstruct. So I feel really grateful in that way. Like, I could just kind of approach Christianity kind of unburdened and just kind of like, I could just kind of do what I wanted with it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I just, I didn't want to do any like cultural appropriation in my spirituality either. And it felt Mm. like Christianity was the place that I could do that the least. Yeah. So how does it show up for you? Um, I mean, first of all, that was beautiful. I totally understand what you're describing of, you know, these really vivid, clear truths come through. And it definitely does. I, I definitely understand the the feeling of like, this is proving that there's something else at mm-hmm. play in the world, you know, I, I, for sure. Um, do you, uh, do you, I actually saw a post of yours recently where you were talking about um, that you really are kind of talking to God when you, you know, work with the tarot. What yeah. is it? Is it like your does it feel like a prayer or, you know, how does, how is your tarot practice um, speaking with God, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, Okay. Well, first of all, (laughs) like hearing someone else say that, I'm like, wow, I sound either really egotistical and full of myself or nuts. (laughs) Oh, I don't, I don't think so. (laughs) But I mean, you know, like tarot will make you start to question like your mental health sometimes. I don't know if you've sure. had that experience. Sure, sure, like, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, is this really happening? Um, so, but yeah, like, like that's, that's what we're doing. Like we are talking and you can put whatever word, insert your word here, right? If God makes you uncomfortable, you are communicating with something beyond you. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just the truth. Um, and so, yes, it does feel like prayer, Um, It also sometimes feels like arguing. That's, that's a Mm. lot of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the times I'm arguing and like wrestling with God because I get very, 
um, I get very demanding. Like I really, like a lot of it is me like pressing and pushing for answers and then being redirected to just sit with like the unknown (laughs) and like the present moment and just not trying to like fight my way through, you know, the mystery, which is a lot of what I attempt to do. Yes. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, it's like having a really good and patient and compassionate friend who knows way more than you do. Um, and who is just very willing to like indulge you. Yeah. (laughs) And redirect you when, when necessary. Right. I, I love what you said about pushing, having something to push, kind of push against. That's definitely, um, something that I find tarot useful for, um, even these archetypes, like we were talking about earlier with gender and, and sexuality, it gives you something to, a lens through which to examine it. You know, yeah. it, it gives you something, you're confronted by something and then you have something to kind of push back against. So yeah, yeah I love, I love that. And I even love, honestly, I love hearing someone talk about arguing with God. I mean, because mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely a, a piece of that relationship, whether, like you said, whether it's, you know, capital G God or whatever you mm-hmm. call spirit. Um, yeah. a lot of that is an argument. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was reading some like Thomas Keating the other day and he referred to Christ as the divine therapist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's like really a perfect term for the tarot as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The divine therapist. Um, you can really just bring all of your shit, you know, to yep. your cards. there's nothing that you can't bring. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right, so let's dive into the Enneagram. I'm very excited. And speaking of Christian religion, I think I came to the Enneagram through Richard Rohr. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's a huge proponent of it. So, mm-hmm. first of all, you know, I know you said your partner is kind of the the specialist, but can you yeah. can you just tell our listeners what Enneagram is in case anyone yeah. doesn't know? Right. So. When we're talking about the Enneagram, we're actually talking about the Enneagram of personality, just to distinguish it from just the shape, right? Because okay. Enneagram is like a nine-pointed symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very ancient symbol um, that like dates back to, I mean, it's like thousands of years, right? And it has history and like mystic Sufism and all this stuff. But as a geometric, as a sacred, a symbol of sacred geometry, right? It's describing the way that energy moves, all energy in the universe. And so it was adapted into um, a personality kind of typing system um, that uses this energetic like movement. So it's a really dynamic system of looking at the personality um, in opposition to something like the Myers-Briggs or whatever that just kind of like describes you, right? And types you, but then is static. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's a dynamic system. It shows like not only your motivations and who you are, but also like, how you grow, um, how your energy is when you're like feeling really stressed and unsafe, how your energy or how, like, you know, how your personality changes as you feel more expansive and more secure, all of these things. Um, so it's a really dynamic system um, of personality. Um, and there are nine different types. Um, it is not an inherently Christian tool, right? Like you mentioned coming to it through Richard Rohr, who, um, uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot of like Jesuit history in the Enneagram and it is, it has been widely adopted by like a lot of evangelical circles um, in the United States lately, but it is not inherently Christian or really religious in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then uh, to, to find out your type, is it the same kind of, uh, like if you take the Myers-Briggs, is it that kind of test or how do you I mean, there are lots of tests on the internet that you can find. Um, however, it is like Enneagram, pe people who know the Enneagram well and Enneagram professionals will tell you that it's not the best way to, um, to go about it. It's really better to... Um, to just either you can get a typing interview by a professional or you can just read about all the types and, and figure out what you are mm -hmm. because uh, it's not just about like described behavior. It's not just saying, you know, you do this, so you are this. It's really like, what, are, what is your deepest motivation for doing whatever um, behavior? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And there's also wings, right? Is that right? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like, it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's an interesting piece, but like just knowing your core type is totally sufficient. Okay. What's your type? Uh, I'm a four. And what does that mean? Um, basically it means that, um, I'm, I tend to be focused on what is missing, right. And not what is here or what is good. I'm always looking for what is missing. I tend to want to put myself outside of the group. Um, I want to believe that I am somehow fundamentally different or misunderstood. <laughs> mm. It also means that I struggle with envy. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Okay, that's really fascinating because I hear a lot of emperor when you talk about that. So Which is you, a four. Right, right? so yes. do you, does that, is that how it translates for you into your tarot work? Like talk a bit about how you use Enneagram yes. and tarot. Right. So like for instance, when Abby, who's my partner, um, and I teach, we teach classes on like the Enneagram and the tarot together. And so a lot of it is based on numerological associations, right? So type one is the magician, type two is high priestess. Um, and because those are the main lessons that like each personality type is here to like learn and work with. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really fascinating the way that it lines up. And we kind of really came to that through the book Meditations on the Tarot, which I uh -huh. don't know if have you read that book? I have tried many times. Oh, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I've read like 30% of it, maybe. It's yeah. so dense. It's like one of those that you'll just like read your whole life. Mm -hmm. But the way that they describe the archetypes, they are really describing the core spiritual like uh, growth edges for each Enneagram type. Mm -hmm. um, it's really fascinating. And so reading that book, I was like, oh my God, like this is an, this is an Enneagram and tarot book, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is making me excited actually as, as I think about this because I'm type three Okay. and I, from what I remember, it is a lot about like creation and uh, like leadership. Um, well, I so here's, here's how, here's an easy way to describe type threes and see how you feel about this. Okay. Type threes feel like they have to earn love. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's pretty much their core thing is, is they've got to, they're achievement oriented and success oriented um, because they think that's how they have to prove themselves in order to be worthy. Wow. I brought you on here to just read me to filth. That's right. right? And so, <laughs> yeah. and, but that's Empress work. Yes. Yes. Learning that you don't have to do anything in order to be loved. Yes. Gosh. Yeah. And so I'm so excited now. I really had not thought about this, honestly, until this moment, but this gives me kind of another way to talk about these cards without gender, you know, like yeah. I think that's, that's an amazing lens. Do you know if anyone's ever made an Enneagram tarot deck? Oh, a deck. No, not that I know of. There is a book um, that I actually don't recommend. <laughs> okay. 
okay. it's the only it's the only thing that I found that combines those two systems, and it's called the the. Oh my God! It's not called the Fool's Journey. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll Google like Enneagram something. and Tarot. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to put it in the in the show notes. I'll find it. Um, in any case, uh, that's that's the only book or or any writing that I found that 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 makes that connection. Yeah, I'm obsessed with that. I'm definitely gonna like go down that rabbit hole like as soon as yeah. we're done today. Yeah. Um. So so you came to tarot kind of first, then an enneagram. Which did your partner bring enneagram into your life, or had you already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I I was not. I mean, I think I had like seen it in the periphery of like my circles in some way. It wasn't totally unknown to me, um, but I had not typed myself or read anything about it. And they were they were not. Uh, an Enneagram like coach or teacher at that point. It was just something that they really worked with a lot personally. And, um, and so, yeah, we hadn't been dating very long when they gave me some Enneagram like stuff to look through. And that was before I had gotten a deck. So the Enneagram was first. Okay. Got it. So what are, are there any specific card examples you can give of ways that like places where you feel like knowing the Enneagram really expands the meaning for you or has maybe changed the way you look at it or you know anything that's like a specific example of that like for me personally like as a four mm-hmm. Ooh. well or just as a reader you know if just knowing like if there are any cards that uh you know traditional interpretations of the card might say one thing but the fact that you add the enneagram in kind of has opened mm. it up in a different way for you I don't, I think I might have to think about that. I mean, any card, like it really, that is so case specific because it's like, if I know the Enneagram type of the person that I'm reading for, mm-hmm. then that will shift the interpretations of the cards a bit. Right. Okay. Um, because for instance, like, let's look at five of cups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, five wow, that's cup- so! I have to tell you, that's in- insane that you just said that because that card has been stalking me for a month straight. Okay, that's okay. crazy. Well, yeah. so here's the deal with Five of Cups for a Type Three. Okay. Okay. Five of Cups or Type Threes don't want to admit to failure, mm-hmm. right? Like they can't. Failure is not really an option for them. Um, they don't want to look at it. They don't want to admit to it. They want to just brush past those things and move on. Mm-hmm. And so, like Five of Cups invitation for like type threes is really to like sit with that feeling, you know, like what does it feel like to have lost or to have failed or to have not, you know, not succeeded up to your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's really an invitation in that card for type threes. Whereas for me as a type four, it really calls me out for my tendency to wallow in what is not here, right? Mm -hmm. It's really more about turning around and looking at those other two cups um, and to stop whining about what's missing. Um, so it's, it, it's a really, it's a different energy for like threes and fours. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I wonder too, if maybe a little bit of with the three for myself with that card, what I've been feeling with that card is, um, to, I've really been feeling a huge push and invitation from different sources to integrate the two upright cups more into the three spilt cups. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been, I used to interpret that card a lot more um, in, in the sort of the line of thinking of like, you know, grieve as long as you need. And when Mm -hmm. you're ready to move on, those two cups will be there for you waiting. But now I feel like there's something that's trying to teach me that like right now in this moment of grief, there is also joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So maybe it's about, you know, 
in this quote unquote failure, there is, there is still success of a different kind or, you know, like something like that. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's just wild to me that you, I mean, speaking of knowing that there's a God, it's crazy that you said that card. I mean, of 78 cards, all the ones you could have picked. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, I can't tell you how it's been stalking me. That's, that's insane yeah. to me. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So now let's talk of, like about the time portion of the, or piece of the Enneagram, because yeah. that I did not know anything about, had never heard okay. about that. Um, so first of all, will you kind of explain the time piece of the Enneagram and then we can yeah. go into so- the tarot? Right. Um, so the Enneagram, you're, you're, you, you are oriented to time depending on like differently, depending on what your type is. So there are certain types who are oriented to the future, certain types that are oriented to the past and certain types that are oriented to the present. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like, when I learned that it really blew my mind because it didn't occur to me that we could be oriented to time differently. Right. Um, I don't know if that's how you felt when you like, heard that i was just like what the hell well the reason i chose to talk about this topic is i'm kind of oddly obsessed with time just in general Uh like i'm really obsessed with physics and i read a lot of books about time and um so i definitely what i was familiar with the idea of like when people are in different places they experience time differently or going at different speeds you know and things like that um but and also as a dancer um Mm. i've also i've also heard that when you if you watch like five dancers doing the same thing after they learn it, a lot of times there'll be slight differences in the speed. And, and if you tell them, you know, oh, you know, you're ahead of the music, they'll, they'll be like, no, I'm not. I'm right on the count because they hear it. They kind of perceive it differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Um, time is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I would, we were talking about like in that podcast episode that on my podcast where Abby and I were discussing this whole orientation to time, we were just talking about how it, you know, affects your readings, like in your tarot practice, like, Mm -hmm. are you always rehashing the past? Like, is that what the majority of your readings do? It's just like, try to digest, look at, are you wallowing around in the past all the time? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you only ever using the tarot as a mirror for the present moment, trying to understand what is here right now? Or are a lot of your readings oriented just towards looking what's next, right? And trying to find a way out or, you know, a way forward. Right. Um, because I think that's largely unconscious, like in our personal practices, you know? Yeah. So do you ask clients before you read for them, like, do you try to get their Enneagram type so you can take all this if into they consideration? Know it. Or, okay. Yeah. If they know it, then, um, then that's useful information. And then are you really aware as a reader? Because you're past, is that correct? Yeah, I'm oriented to the past, and okay. and that is really ugh, like the the major portion of my personal readings. I am <laughs> I am <laughs> focused on the past. What happened there? Let's talk about that. That happened, you know, years ago. Do you ever push yourself to try to like get out of that in any way? Like when you yeah, read for I do. Now that I'm really aware that that's my habit, I I am trying to like it's it's much easier for me to do present orientation. Like that is something that I'm like now well-versed in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and future stuff is still really, really hard for me. Um, I have a really hard time with future orientation. Be- anxiety is part of that. Um, mm. uh, but I also think it's just kind of a type thing for me. Right. And I was curious when I was listening to that episode, um, 
I was thinking actually about a physics book I read recently that was pointing out, you know, if, if, if your sister was on a planet that was, you know, 10,000 light years away or whatever, and you called them now, quote unquote, mm-hmm. here, it would not be the same now when they receive the call as the yeah. now that's here. So, you know, that is something I think about a lot in general with, um, with this tarot work, like I've become very hesitant to use the word collective anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you you hear a lot of people say like a collective reading or um, like the sort of the present moment even is not really, it's not the same present moment anywhere. And I guess for me, it's like, well, if this doesn't hold true, like anywhere in the universe, then, then I don't know that it really holds true anywhere in the universe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, does that like how do you feel about that? Do you ever think about the fact that like the present is not really universally present and or in anything I'm talking about? <laughs> or am I just yeah, making no, no sense? No, I mean I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. You know what? As I've I just I have a deck in my hands, right? And I've been like pulling cards as we've been talking. Mm-hmm. Um and I just we're talking about time and I just pulled the emperor, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting because sometimes time is considered the fourth dimension, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I've thought about the emperor in that context before, like, does the emperor represent like time? Um, so I just I love that, that that just came up. Um, like it really, were you saying that if, if something can't be true everywhere, then it's not true anywhere? As I mean, I guess I, I was saying that as far as the present moment, um, as far mm-hmm. as there really is no there is no present moment. Like there, there are, there are individual present moments, but not like, for instance, you know, from a scientific standpoint, even us on earth, like on ground level would have a different present moment slightly than someone like on top of a mountain or, you know, it would be a little different. So, and, you know, as we all do, you know, a great amount of unlearning from 2020, I've been thinking also about, like I said, the word collective, mm-hmm. the way that we say, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a reading for the collective or this message is for the collective or, you know, yeah. anything like that. And I just, it's just really been kind of tapping on my shoulder, this awareness that like the collective is not, you know, there, I mean, unless you really are taking full account of every single perspective that anyone could possibly be going through, which is pretty yeah. impossible. Yeah. You, you know, it really can't be like a collective message. I mean, we do, mm-hmm. of course, have a collective experience as just human mm-hmm. beings like here on earth, but yeah. you know, do you know what I'm saying? So I've just, it's yeah. just been something I've been really uh, thinking about in my own practice and just yeah. trying to be more aware of that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if, if the motivation or the intention behind collective readings is to be for everyone, right. you know, even though we're using that language, uh, maybe it's just me- like meant for certain people. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel like, how do you approach it? If you're doing a collective reading, um, what um, is the intention that you put into it or what are you kind of thinking about as you pull the cards or, you know, how, how do you approach it? Yeah, I think I kind of think about it like weather. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's probably like the best word I could think of is like, cause I do pull cards. I mean, I pull a card of the day on Instagram every morning and I do sometimes do more expansive collective readings. Um, sometimes that I don't share, I just do them for myself um, to help me understand, you know, what's going on out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And I think, I think, I think about it like weather, like what is the energy that's just kind of like swirling around, um, out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something to think about, you know, it's just, like I said, it's just something I've been pondering and, and Mm -hmm. I used to do, I used to do more of that. Um, but I've just been kind of just thinking about it. And like I said, the time piece was a big part of it too, because it was like, well, actually, you know, if, if I did a reading here, you know, someone on Pluto or what, if there are people elsewhere, you know, and, and that's where I went to the whole, like, well, if it doesn't like, for me, it's like, I don't, unless I'm specifically saying like, this is for the collective in the Western hemisphere, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or this Mm -hmm. is the collective in New York. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I have to just, you know, because we always hear in the magical world, words are spells. And so I've just been really thinking about the words. And also as I, because I just recently um, came out as non-binary. And so Mm -hmm. words have started to matter even more to me. And just, just thinking about all the soup of that. I was going to ask you, since you were just came out as non-binary, do you find, this is just me being curious. Mm -hmm. um, Do you find that the cards, these are two cards that I think have a lot to say about people who are like exploring their gender identity or trans, whatever, Mm. are the magician and page of pentacles. Mm. Do you, have you like explored that at all? Or have you seen those come up in your readings a lot? If you've been doing readings about gender? I have not. Um, all right. That's it. I, but I don't know, actually, it's funny you say this. I don't know that I have really done a reading for myself with an intention of exploring gender. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Okay. So that would actually be something I should do. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I, you know, those because I've seen magicians show up a few times as um, uh, for trans folks. Mm. And like, it has some relationship with uh, some of the symbols in the magician uh, relate to uh, being androgynous, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, I can't remember which ones I've, I've written about it before, but now it's of course slipping my mind. Um, and because they are someone who like straddles uh, like universes, so to speak, you know, that whole messenger between God and man. And, you know, it's like, so being in that liminal space. Um, and then I just think, page of pentacles is like so much curiosity about like how you want to embody you know yeah um and i pulled it before to represent like gender dysphoria um so it's just i'm just curious about that i like that because i mean not that i don't like temperance but sometimes i get tired of the Mm. the temperance card being the only um non-binary option you know um so i like i like having those i'll have to think about that and i'll definitely I definitely should pull some cards around this topic. I, it's funny. Yeah. I have never done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, well, lastly, I, I have two last questions. The first mm-hmm. is I, I wanted to hear from you because I know you teach um, mm-hmm. and we're in a Hierophant year and yeah. I actually just taught my first couple of classes and I was just curious to hear, you know, what your experience has been like teaching tarot and what it's kind of taught you along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, Hierophant's my life path card, so I'm really okay. excited um, that we're in a Hierophant year. Um, I really love to teach tarot, and I was kind of like thrust into it like a couple years ago. It wasn't really like my plan so much, but I had like some like yoga studio or something was hosting a tarot class, 
and their teacher had to like cancel at the very last minute because they were sick. And so someone just knew about me and called me up and was like, Hey, can you teach this class in like three hours? Mm. And I was like, Holy shit, I guess. <laughs> um, and I like really freaked out, but it was the best thing for me because I'm the kind of person who otherwise I never would have done it. You know, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I really had to be pushed and like, um, kind of trial by fire. It was just really the only way. And then I was like, Oh, I actually really love this. And so I started like pursuing opportunities to teach and creating my own, you know, platforms for teaching and all this stuff. Cause I just really liked it. Um, yeah, no, I love it. And it's like, I am someone who learns, like I've discovered this about myself now. I am someone who learns best by teaching. Mm. Um, yeah, it just really helps me to hear myself talk it through. It helps me to also like have something on my schedule that I know I'm going to teach about. And then I have to like, uh, like cram and learn about it, <laughs> really get my thoughts organized. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, I'm going to have to be able to articulate this right. um, and not just have it kind of like floating around in the ether, like somewhere. Um, yeah. So it's really good. It's really anchoring for me. Yeah, I love that about your podcast. I love the conversation that the two of you have and the way it, it feels like you both are learning kind of as you go, you know, and I, yeah. I, I feel that too. I definitely, I've, I've definitely learned about myself um, this year that I do not like, um, like going on Instagram live and just like monologuing, you know, mm -hmm. like I really need to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of my Libra coming out with that. Mm -hmm. I just, I have to talk to people, yeah. um, you know, and so the doing, I used my podcast, I used to have a co-host and then when she left, I was like, okay, I have to start interviewing people cause I can't just yeah. be just talking. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, what, what would you say, um, what would you say like is most important to you as a tarot teacher? You know, what is, um, like what's the, the, if you could give your student like one thing to take away besides just obviously knowledge of the cards, but as mm. far as the approach or, um, the meaning or anything, you know, what's the mm. like kind of, uh, crux of what you're trying to teach with tarot? Um, well, I think probably that, you know, you're not going to do it wrong mm -hmm. is probably number one because people have, a, they bring a lot of anxiety around, uh, doing it right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, mm -hmm. uh, people have a lot of, of like fear around like, you know, am, am I misinterpreting? Am I going to mess it up by shuffling wrong? Am I going to like affect the cards by doing X, Y, and Z? Like they're somehow going to, to do it wrong. I don't know. Do you find that with people? Yes. And I think it's because for me, like there isn't one definition, you know, so like yeah. you're, it's going to keep changing. That's, that's what I think I would say to my younger tarot self now is mm -hmm. like what this, what these cards mean to you right now in a year, it's going to be very different. Yeah. And, then, and then a year from that, it's going to be very different, yeah. you know? Cause I think that's part of why people are afraid of getting it quote unquote wrong is that they think there's like one meaning that they're supposed right. to learn, you know, right. like it's fixed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a lifelong process, right? It's not something you're going to learn like in a semester and then you're going to have it and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to be, you're, you're perpetually a student. Right. With tarot, always. And, and that's, what's so amazing about it is it, I, I kind of, I always equate it to like Shakespeare because it just keeps kind of opening up more and yeah. more. The more you study it, the more you're like, oh my God, there's so much in here, layer on mm -hmm. layer, you know? Well, yeah, um, because it has to like, we have 78 cards in a deck. They have to be able to describe every single thing that can possibly happen to you or that every possible feeling you can have. Yeah. 
and and we keep like life keeps progressing forward too so like yeah. you know like for instance this gender conversation you know it was not happening in the same way right. you know 50 years ago so now the cards have to kind of keep up yeah. and and that is through us you know it's through yes. the readers who keep yes. the cards evolved yeah. my last question for you is um is there a card or or cards um that right now are kind of on your mind that you feel like are really speak to this moment or a card that maybe you're re-examining in any way, anything like that? Mm, I don't know. Um, I will tell you the card that like has haunted me since the very beginning okay. of my tarot practice and continues to. Mm. Um, and one that I think has so much nuance and is also so deeply misunderstood is Seven of Swords. Mm -hmm. Um, that one is just so full of, well, baggage for one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, literally. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like there's so much in there and it's so open for a lot of, a lot of new interpretations. Um, and I think it scares a lot of people. Um, and it does me right. Where are you at with it now? Like what's, what, how are you feeling about it now? Um, well, I, I don't know. Cause it shifts so much because I feel like, I feel like it's one of those cards that when it comes up in your reading, especially if it's, it's a personal reading, right? It's about you and stuff you've got going on. It really, um, can kind of like throw a wrench into things. Like you think you understand what's going on and then all of a sudden it shows up and it's like asking you to like re-examine like your motivations or what might be happening under the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it always yeah, it, it comes into kind of like a, uh, a dissonant kind of note, like, oh, maybe things aren't exactly what I think, um, or there's something that I need to re-examine here. Um, yeah, it's a real tough one. Um, and, and I think it's just one that my relationship with is going to always be complicated and ever expanding. Yeah, it's interesting because when I think about that card, I kind of see a big question there being like, what happened here? Yeah. You know, and so knowing that you're a past oriented person, mm-hmm. um, I could see you kind of, you know, wanting to know like, what what's the story here? Like what happened here? Yeah, right. And it's always about like, what's, what's I, I kind of use the keywords plot twist for it a lot. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. What story was being told? Um, how are you trying to like reinvent that story or reinvent yourself as a character within this story? Um, yeah, and and also a lot of it for me too has been about um, my constant wrestling with skepticism and doubt. Like that's mm-hmm. been a really big part of Seven of Swords for me too. Mm-hmm. I could see a like a trust element coming in with yeah. that card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole lot. Yeah. One thing I tried recently with my study group um, is everyone picking a card and then uh, writing down all the things that like you don't know just from looking at the card. Like, mm-hmm. you know, with Seven of Swords, it might be, we. I think actually someone picked Seven of Swords and mm-hmm. it was like, you know, we don't know where this figure is going. We don't know where yeah. they got these swords. We don't know, you know, and that's, yeah. that's kind of interesting uh, and very kind of past oriented in a way, like, you know, what, like we said, what happened here and what, what can we not know and what can that reveal about what actually is here and also reveal maybe about our own like biases when we look at it, you know, like what, what's not the given, you know, in this card that we might be forgetting about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good exercise. Yeah. It was cool. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, Danielle, thank you for this conversation. This has been fantastic. Um, tell people where they can find you, how they can find you, if there's anything, um, any classes or anything you want to plug that's coming up, just, just let the people know how yeah. they can find you. Um, well, I'm on Instagram, Oak Moon Tarot at Instagram is my main one. And then I've got the Contemplative Christian Tarot as well. Um, my website is oakmoontarot.com. And I have, um, I have some un- blog that <laughs> not updated in a long time, but there are a lot of entries there. If you want to like peruse some card of the day kind of posts, um, there's plenty. Um, I teach actually every Sunday. I have something called Tarot Sunday School um, on Zoom that mm-hmm. the, the topics are wide ranging and always changing. And that's always posted on my website, on my Instagram. Um, and then I have a podcast now, which is brand new. Um, and it's just the Oak Moon Tarot podcast. And Abby and I talk about all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. Like I'm, I'm so excited that you started it. Uh, I look forward to it and it's, it's, it's great. It's a great podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for this conversation. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to In Search of Tarot. If you feel called, please share this podcast with someone you think will enjoy it. You can also support this offering by hitting subscribe and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Whatever you do, breathe deeply and be well.